Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need milk for Zoe and a cold brew for yourself, Baker's Delivery will get you just what you need in as little as 30 minutes. Open the Baker's app and start your cart, whatever the cart. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Delivery time's not guaranteed. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Probably be a little bit of an abbreviated show, but that's cool. That's fine. Uh, just didn't want to leave y'all hanging. Again, lots going on on the internet for some reason. Facebook is down. Instagram is down. A lot of different services around the internet are, are down right now. So uh, that's that's why we're doing this thing a little bit differently today. By the way, we are still brought to you by my good buddy, Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network. ClintHammond.com is the address, and Clint is the man. Um, obviously, we tell you about Clint every single show. Every single show is presented by Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network. He is the branch manager of the Columbia Mortgage Network right across from Dreher High School. The NMLS number is 71597. Phone number 803-576-4450. As always, if you are in the market for a home or in the market to possibly um, refinance your house, uh, give Clint a shout and he'll uh, help you figure out what is sometimes a very difficult process that he will help make easy. So, all right, y'all, I'm, I'm settled in. We're good now. Please do me a favor. If you're on social, share this YouTube link right now. Um, because it's not posted like it normally is because, again, the streaming services around the Internet are down right now. So, all right, um, again, welcome in GC Live. It's just me today, no Chris. Very informal show. We're going to talk some ball, talk about South Carolina's very weird 23-14 to 14 win over Troy. There was some good. There was some bad. And there was some just the weirdest things I've ever seen in this game. Um, you know, generally, guys, when you say a game had it all, that game had it all. You're talking about a good thing, like it was a great football game, right? This game had it all. I wouldn't say this was a great football game. This was just a very, very odd football game. Um, get, you know, South Carolina gave itself a chance to win the game. It ultimately did win the game. That's what matters. But I also said coming into this game that this is the matchup you wanted to start to see, you know, that that progress from South Carolina, particularly South Carolina's offense. So did, did we see that? I, I look at this game, and, I, and first of all, I liked that South Carolina came out with a different game plan offensively. It was very, very clear to me early on that they were going with the mindset of throwing first. Um, they really got Luke Doty uh, going as far as the passing game goes. They came out. 
They were involving the tight ends. They were involving as uh, as Mark Anderson has been yelling for all season. They involved EJ Jenkins a little bit more. Involved Jaheim Bell a little bit more. Something I've been yelling for all season. And I I thought honestly the first drive of the game, except for the fact that it ended in a field goal, was probably one of the best drives of the entire season. Just in in terms of us seeing them, they still had some penalties, but they're able to make first downs on third and longs. Um, after those penalties, they were able to keep the chains moving. They were able to put together an actual step-by-step drive, almost a methodical-type drive, where they ran the football a little bit. They threw it with success. They had the intermediate passing game going. It's a little bit of everything in this first drive. And I, I kind of was like, okay, this is, this is a good sign for South Carolina. Now, you you had to take the, the points, right? You had to kick the field goal there because you couldn't have that drive and then get no points. But – uh, you know, certainly a little bit dis- disappointing on South Carolina's side that they did not get a touchdown there. And come to find out as this game progressed, that was really the story of the entire game to me was that um, the offense was able to move the football, I believe, a good bit better than we have seen. How You know, how much you put that on the opponent, you know, I, I don't know. That's up to you. Obviously, coming in, Troy had statistically a, a really good defense. So, South Carolina was able to move the football. Some of that, watching the game in the stadium, Troy was playing sort of this, I believe it was a cover four a lot of times, but certainly a zone defense where they're dropping back. They're saying, we're not going to let you throw it over our head. We're going to force you to methodically drive the football down the field. And if you're going to take shots, it's going to have to be more in those intermediate ranges. You saw, uh, for example, first drive, that that throw down the seam, great throw from Doty to, to Joyner for a completion. Uh, you know, I, I guess that's probably what, about a 20-yard or so um, gain there, 20-yard or so throw. Great great read, great throw, great catch. And but, but that sort of is an example of what you had to do against that Troy defense. I know South Carolina wanted to, to take some shots to get some deep balls, to hit some deep balls, certainly. But for the most part, this defense of Troy was built to force you, not necessarily to dink and dunk, but but there was not a ton of opportunities just to go over the top against this defense. So with that being said, I thought South Carolina's offense, in some ways, did what they needed to do. But then, you know, I, I think also, if you look at the results, Beamer mentioned this in a teleconference yesterday, there were six different times in which South Carolina had a first down during a drive in Troy territory that those drives ended in field goals or nothing. Um, Obviously they did have the, you know, the drive down there with the throw to EJ Jenkins. But if you look back, that's a situation where clearly, in my opinion, that sort of is what Troy was. You kind of, that's kind of what Troy wanted, I think. If they're if they're playing this drop back zone, they're basically pay, playing bend but don't break. We've seen South Carolina do that before. We've seen other teams do that before. It's nothing that a fan base loves from a defensive standpoint, but that's that was what that was what Troy's game plan was to make South Carolina methodically go down the field. Probably a smart game plan. We've seen most of South Carolina's offense throughout the year come on big explosive plays. So Troy drops back, they play zone, they say, we're going to force you to to methodically get on the field and score. 
for the most part, South Carolina did methodically move the football at times. But I believe ultimately when you get down there, when you get into the red zone, when you get certainly down near the goal line, that's when you have to be able to run the football. I thought um, I thought two things were sort of at play here that are opposites. I thought that one, I actually give some, I give some credit to Marcus Satterfield because I thought South Carolina did some different things offensively to be able to run the football. And when I say that, I'm talking about um, using some misdirection to get the ball to Josh Van um, twice. He had big runs in the game at, at key moments and then using uh, Juju McDowell sort of as um, as an extension of the running game on, on swing passes that are designed with blockers out front. Um, there was a big pickup to Kevin Harris um, that was on a, a quick pass uh, to the outside where they used some misdirection and, and got uh, the person in coverage with Kevin caught up in the wash and got him wide open. So I, I thought, you give the offensive coaches, you give Marcus Satterfield credit for doing some things to create what I would call a running game, even if some of those plays don't count as actual runs. Now, the other side of that, y'all, is that the traditional running game, the, you know, line it up, knock the guy back who's in front of you, get your running backs yardage, and get them into a rhythm, for the most part, was once again um, not what I'm sure South Carolina wanted it to be. And that part is still a little bit scary. Um, maybe not a little bit. That part is still scary going into going back into SEC, SEC play. So the rest of the year, you have SEC play and you have Clemson. So the, the gimmies, uh, other than Vanderbilt, um, obviously next week, the gimmies are kind of over. Um, the, the opportunities to work on things are kind of over. And, and lo and behold, Tennessee gets right against Missouri this past week, gets rolling on offense. And, you know, you go into this game, I thought preseason Tennessee would probably be favoring this game by a little bit. But now Tennessee favored by double digits because they've started to find some things on their end, uh, certainly offensively. So I don't know if, if you're in the chat right now, I'd love to hear your takes. I'd love to respond to some of them again because I'm I'm here solo today. But uh, but my big thing on the offense was, again, one side, yes, give them credit for finding some ways to move the football around, uh, you know, but also would have really, from a South Carolina spec- perspective, um, you know, wanted to see that, that running game get going a little bit more in the traditional sense because they came out, they threw – we, we talked actually last week, y'all, could this be a throw-to-run to team? In other words – can you throw the football around, loosen up the defense, and then run the football some, right? Well, in my opinion, that's that's what they tried to do. And then when they went back to the running game, it was still a little bit of a struggle, which, uh, again, it, you know, you would have thought once some of those passes started hitting that uh, those runs would start hitting as well. That obviously did not necessarily happen. Now, let, let's give credit where it's due. The, the Like I said, the first drive was really good. I thought the last drive of the game was actually outstanding. Uh, you know, they made some plays, um, you know, whether it was off play action, whether it was, um, you know, traditional running game, uh, getting a little bit more room to operate there, uh, offensive line opening up some holes. Um, they actually 
went down and uh, and made the plays needed to put the game away. And I'll tell you all what. Let, let's talk about let's talk about Parker White for a second. If you know Par- Parker White is very very methodically becoming a guy that we have to put in the conversation for the best kicker in South Carolina history. Because I, I, I don't know about y'all, but if you were at the stadium on Saturday when Parker's kicking that field goal to go up by nine, which let's let's call it what it is, that, that kick is the difference between Troy getting the ball back with really, you know, a six-point deficit and a chance to go break South Carolina's heart versus Parker White knocks it through, which he did, obviously, and he go up by nine. The most pressure-packed kick Parker's ever had? Of course not. But a lot riding on this kick. And Parker White, who I believe is now nine for nine this season on field goal attempts, there wasn't even a nervous energy in the stadium because it was like known that Parker White was going to hit this field goal, that he was going to knock it through. So, you know, through through five games, let, let's give let's give a ton of credit. Through five games, Parker White has been one easily one of South Carolina's most consistent performers, and I believe is now firmly in that conversation for best kicker in program history. No offense to Ryan Suckup. Of course, no offense to my buddy Elliot Fry. It's up to y'all who the best kicker actually is. I'm sure there's guys well before them that were outstanding as well that I never had the pleasure of really watching. But I'm just saying Parker White, for me, for my money, firmly in that conversation now. Speaking of guys that have just been outstanding for South Carolina this year, you know, let, let's give credit where it's due. Jalen Foster, you know, as up and down as the season has been a little bit overall, Jalen Foster has been a rock in the secondary, uh, picking the ball off, coming up, making plays in the, you know, with physicality, making tackles. South Carolina's leading tackler right now. He's been great. JJ Enigbare, I feel like, has taken his game to a completely different level. He is in the backfield. He's doing it with speed, he's doing it with power, technique, toughness. Um, He's got a motor. I believe Enigbare is playing his way into being a, a potentially first-round draft pick. So those two guys on defense, Parker White on special teams, and, and then Josh Van, uh, uh, I'm telling you, I mean, the, for, for what this guy sort of um, – the, the expectations there, the stuff he was sort of dealing with as far as people not really buying into his resurgence um, and what he's gone out there and done has been very impressive. So credit to – uh, Justin Step and the offensive staff for for bringing him along, but but yeah, I you know I think um, those guys were just worth not not that we're at the midway point yet, but just worth mentioning just how good those guys have been for South Carolina because you wonder where where South Carolina would be without their play. Um, all right, yes, yeah, so gonna try to hit some of y'all's comments here. By the way, the big news of the day, as y'all said in the comments here, Ortre Smith has officially entered the transfer portal. You know, and I don't really have some crazy outstanding insight to add here. It is, um, 
it, it is what it is in a lot of ways. I, I think we all knew coming in to this season that, uh, you know, injuries and really not even injury, just a genetic issue there that Ortre Smith had to get cleaned up with his knee really put him in a position where um, he just has not been able to put it all together on the field like, you know, it appeared he probably would when he was a, a true freshman catching 30-plus balls and looking like a future number one receiver for South Carolina. So, you, you know, you hate it for Ortre Smith. You, um, you know, you hate that it didn't work out at South Carolina. You certainly understand why Ortre Smith is possibly going to just go look for a new start and, and sort of go from there. Um, he was on the field some Saturday. There was a lot of rotation at receiver. Actually just uh, narrowly missed having a, a touchdown on that first drive. That was targeted for him uh, at the back of the end zone. Narrowly missed, and, um, you know, it does make you wonder, would, would this be would this conversation be any different if um, if he had scored that touchdown on Saturday? I don't know. Maybe not. Probably not. But just does make you wonder, makes you think, uh, but we certainly, I, I want to send, you know, our well wishes to Ortre Smith. He uh, he was always good to me. His family was always good to me. Um, hate it for him that it's, it's turned out like that with the injury. You know, he's he's been in that second group for South Carolina this year, that second string that, that's rotated in. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll certainly see what happens with South Carolina's receiving core moving forward, who slides into his role. Um I actually don't know who is his direct backup at that position as far as who's playing what at receiver, whether that's a Rico Powers or Jakari Caldwell position, but it would be one of those guys I'd imagine that slides into his role. By the way, um, I know Mark Anderson, who is one of our loyal chat uh, commenters and watchers here on GC Live, has been yelling for EJ Jenkins for uh, for pretty much all season. You know, I, I think EJ really, uh, to me, is starting to come into his own. I, I've, from what I've heard, y'all, he's had some plays in practice um, that he's made that uh, that sort of reminded you a little bit of a couple of the plays he made on Saturday. And I, I think there was just a little bit of an adjustment period. As y'all know, when EJ came in, he was sort of playing receiver. He was sort of playing tight end. And then... He, he basically was playing tight end. He was playing tight end, but he was a guy they slotted out, um, you know, as like a flex tight end. But uh, lately he has been in the wide receiver room. If you look, even going back, I think the Georgia game, he was playing just uh, just wide receiver. So, you know, I, I think it's probably been a little bit of an adjustment to get back to uh, just being a wide receiver versus what you're asked to do at tight end. And so that's that, in my opinion, is why you saw EJ's playing time go down sort of at the, the I would say, week two, week three, and that little section there of the season. Didn't play a whole lot at all. There's a lot more rotation on Saturday, a lot more Jaheim Bell out there, a lot more EJ Jenkins rotating in at receiver. I would look for him. I would look for Amarian Brown. Um, who obviously had the muff punt, uh, you know, hated that for him. But I, I believe is a guy who who you want to continue to get the football to or try to get more involved in the offense. Um, EJ, I believe, had the two catches, including the touchdown on Saturday, but uh, was running around just – I mean, you see him, the size is 
um, is ridiculous. So I think you have to get the ball to him. Um, comment here uh, from my buddy Joe. He says, slot receivers have proven time and time again um, that maybe EJ Jenkins or Jaheim Bell in the slot might be better options. They are matchup nightmares. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think you got to keep getting those guys the ball, man. I, I think Bell has been outstanding when he's had chances, and now EJ Jenkins starting to he, – he just looked to me like a guy that's starting to get comfortable with that jump from playing at St. Francis to playing at the SEC level. So I, I think you'll see those guys play quite a bit more moving forward, especially if they can keep making plays. And I, I believe you're going to see Amari and Brown maybe get some more opportunities. They tried at punt returner. Um, that didn't work out on the one play, but I think at receiver you're going to start to see him play more. Uh, what, what did y'all think of Luke Doty's play? I, I, I've seen a small segment of the fan base start to – Maybe jump on Doty a little bit. You you always have that, right? Whenever um, you know there's a quarterback, doesn't matter what happens. There's always going to be a segment of the fan base that is sort of put the other guy in. I I'll be honest. I thought Luke Doty. I think he's played very very well. Um, you know we we've talked about it a ton. We talked about it on the show all the time. Doty was not a guy that played a ton. In high school at quarterback, he played some receiver before he moved back over to quarterback. He was injured for a decent portion of his senior year. Obviously, he played down the stretch last season and now is really starting to actually go get a chance to go make plays and, you know, to, to go make a mistake or two. I think the I think the point of playing quarterback as a young player, um, like part part of it is going and being able to make some mistakes and then trying to learn from those mistakes. And I, I think Doty, for the most part, if you know, if, if we're going to all sort of pile on Satterfield for, um, for the offensive play, which, you know, from the results has been, has been warranted to, you know, you can say whatever you want about the offense. But I think um, let, let's give some credit where it's due to Satterfield <laughs> for the development of Luke Doty as a passer. I think you you look, and Luke always had the ability physically to make some of these throws he's making, but the thing I look at is the progressions, you know, stepping up in the pocket. First guy's not there. What about second? What about third? What about fourth? You know, going through those progressions and then still keeping his eyes down the field and, um, and, and making the throw. I, I thought that the, you know, the throw – on the very first drive where Doty rolled away from pressure and put the ball on uh, on Jalen Brooks was an outstanding throw. And I think that we're, we're going to see them roll him even more because, to me, he throws the ball on the run um, very, very well. And I, I think that's something we saw become a, a much bigger part of the offense when um, they went under center, play action, boot, and uh, that, that play basically where you – you have boot action with the quarterback and you run either a receiver or a tight end at two different levels with one of them in the flat. And that, that play was, was outstanding for South Carolina on several occasions for South Carolina um, on Saturday. And just Doty is comfortable with that. I think he's accurate with that. And that's an easy way to get those guys the football. So I think that's something you're going to see probably a good bit more of moving forward. And then as, South Carolina 
or as Doty, I should say, gets more and more comfortable, then I believe you're going to see him take off and, and run a, uh, a little bit more as he gets more and more physically back to a hundred percent. But, but standing in y'all, I mean, that, that was not, not really something you would have said was, was Doty's game in high school. You know, he, his game was, you know, he was, he was a solid passer, but a big part of his game was the running part of it. So uh, I think for his progression, being able to step up in the pocket, see the field, you know, put the football. Did he miss some throws Saturday? Absolutely, no doubt. But this was the first time I feel like we've seen them let him actually go out there and, and throw the ball around. Like the that first drive, it felt, it actually felt kind of like that's the first time the philosophy has felt like a Spurrier philosophy in a long time, as far as going out and being a little more wide open, stretching the field at least with intermediate throws. Um, there's sort of an, an outside deep throw to Jalen Brooks. There was an outside throw um, to to Nick Muse early on. I think that was missed, but but still a good idea. And throwing the ball on first down is something that's only going to help this offense moving forward, and only going to help um, Luke Doty get more and more comfortable with what they're doing. All right, uh, defense. Let's let's turn the page to the defense and. I don't know. It, it was a weird performance for the defense for me as well. Not that it wasn't a weird game all the way around. Just the the defense, uh, uh, you know, first drive, they come out. But both sides of the ball started the game, fan, on, you know, fantastically. Offense comes out, drives down, like I said, great drive. Defense comes out, forces a three and out. And uh, and you're saying, man, this, this might be a really good day for the Gamecocks. Then... You know, I, I thought defensively, too many big plays in the running game, too many missed tackles. You know, I, I thought there were several occasions, and you know, I, I'm I'm not a defensive scheme guy to where I can tell you the exact issues on all these runs, but I, it did look to me like there were several occasions in the running game where whoever was supposed to set the edge. Um, just lost contain and, and Troy's backs I thought did a pretty good job of bouncing outside getting the football sort of on the perimeter and, and making big plays from there so you had some explosive plays allowed in the running game that um, that, that certainly uh, hurt South Carolina and um, you know it, it's kind of one of those things like we talk about on the offensive line everybody else can have everybody else all other 10 can do their job and the middle may be completely bottled up, but if you lose contain and you're up against a back who has the vision to bounce it outside, um, you, you can have some issues there. So uh, I think the linebackers got caught inside at times and got caught in the wash, um, so to speak. And then I, I think uh, at other times it was just so, whoever was setting the edge um, th- did not get the edge set and, and the ball got bounced outside. So I, I think the the defense we're still grading them a bit on a curve i think like this is not a defense that is going to be mistaken for alabama for georgia for even you know for kentucky even i i think top to bottom so i hesitate to be too difficult on them because they they've really played 
well for the most part this year. They've played smart for the most part. They look like they know where they're supposed to be. They're playing fast. They're playing aggressive. So, you know, I, I give Clayton White all the credit in the world for what he's done with this defense. Um, you once again have a pick six. You know, that this is set, you know, this this defense has the three pick sixes, but they're they're close to having the Jamar Brown scoop and score, which is a whole nother story. Um against Eastern Illinois, they had a pick six brought back due to penalty. Against Georgia, you had an interception that is maybe one or two blocks away from being a pick six, six as well that put the ball deep in Georgia territory for the offense. So, I mean, I don't I don't know if that's sustainable. I don't know if you can keep expecting that. I don't know necessarily how it's continued to happen, but it has through five games. So, um, you know, I, I think you have to give a ton – of credit overall while also acknowledging there are still a few little issues that are starting to kind of show their faces when it comes to stopping the run that certainly, you know, ten, you know, Tennessee's an offense. They're going to spread you out much like Troy did. And they're going to, not that it's the exact same offense, but there are going to be some similar things philosophically. It's a true spread offense and they're going to try to get lined up fast and they're going to try to get you bounced out of a gap because you're thinking too fast, or you're not thinking fast enough, I should say, and you don't get lined up and you don't get to your gap responsibility, and uh, and they catch you sleeping a little bit. So, you know, may, maybe this game was a good little wake-up call in some ways for the defense as far as um, just seeing some things they, they can clean up and, and sort of being able to, to recover and, and go from there. But – you know, again, I, I hesitate to be too hard on the defense because, for the most part, I think you'd say they're they've played above their heads this year. Um, you know, I, I think uh, it, it's just hard to be too hard on them. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll see against a, a Tennessee team that has actually started to find their groove. I, I did. You know, we we talked about SEC games a little bit on Friday, and you know, if you'd have, if you'd have told me that Tennessee was just going to go beat the brakes off of Missouri, um, I don't know if I necessarily would have believed you. That that was one of the weirdest outcomes for me on Saturday. That Tennessee did what they did to Missouri, and um, obviously we we talked about Ole Miss. Can they hang with Alabama? Answer: Decidedly no. Um, we talked about Arkansas. Could they hang with Georgia? Answer. Decidedly, no. In some ways, I think you almost have to feel a little bit better about how South Carolina hung with Georgia. Um, you know, based on what other teams have done, Arkansas really had. I don't know if y'all watched that game or if y'all just saw the score. Um, I think the fi- the final score was what thirty. The the Georgia Arkansas game thirty seven nothing. I don't even know what the final score was. That that game was over midway through the second quarter. I mean, that 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 game, regardless of what the actual score was, Georgia was in command, was in control from literally the beginning of that game and on. Georgia goes right down the field and scores. Arkansas, Arkansas actually had many of the same issues South Carolina had from an offensive line standpoint. Um, 
due to the crowd. I, I think Arkansas had a false start on their first two or three offensive plays in a row to start the game. So, you know, Arkansas got um, – Arkansas. don't get me wrong, Arkansas, great start of the year for them. They're on a the right trajectory for them, but they got humbled a little bit by Georgia. So South Carolina, uh, to me, you start looking back, Kentucky is now 5-0. and Georgia, of course, uh, has just rolled through their game so far. But I, I think you, you look at the way South Carolina played Georgia, and not that you're you're ever proud to just keep, you know give up forty points and get beat by uh, what was it beat by twenty seven points, but still, um, South Carolina not the only team that Georgia is going to dominate this year. I think so. We're still learning about this team. We're still learning about proper expectations and we're learning about the sec and sort of who is slotted where and right now the kentucky appears to be legit big win for them over florida missouri appears to be very very beatable even clemson y'all i mean clemson very beatable for south carolina even this year so the schedule has started to play out um a little bit to where we learn a little bit more information each week of course the big thing for South Carolina moving forward can they get the running game going that's going to be the storyline until it's not which will be can't you know it'll be the storyline until we see South Carolina actually go have some success running the football with a traditional hit the guy in front of you get your running back some yardage and find a rhythm to the running game again you know, that, there was a point in the game when I looked and South Carolina had 80 yards of rushing and a 50-something. I think it was 81 yards and 51 of them, 50-something of them were on Josh Van um, misdirection plays, like end-around plays. So um, still got to get better there, but there were certainly signs of progress moving forward. All right, so that, that's about it for me, y'all. I, I appreciate y'all hanging with me again. Half the internet is out today for some reason. I hope that um, tomorrow we will be uh, back on our regular deal, regular schedule, regular software. Uh, with Chris, will be back on here as well. Um, Curtis asked, "Is this a must-win Saturday?" No, you know I do not. I do not use must-win. I would never use must-win. I think uh, must-win is the most overused, most overused deal most overused phrase in sports. Unless it's win or go home, there's no such thing as a must win. Oh, Ty, Ty, good call, good call. We got to talk about Dead Soxy. Y'all know y'all know that Dead Soxy is usually Chris Clark's thing. But head on over to Dead Soxy. Uh, Ty, what is the code? What's the password? I believe it's cocky. Um... Use the code COCKY for 25% off from deadsoxy.com. Of course, they've got the uh, – see, y'all, y'all don't even need me to do the ad. You already have it. You already have it. The buttery soft feel, the uh, excellent uh, no-rise technology. Use the code COCKY for 25% off Dead Soxy socks. They have actually lots of socks you can choose from. Um, and, hey, if you, if you want to get your girl some socks – and surprise her, they actually do have women's socks as well. All right, y'all. That's it. Appreciate y'all bearing with me. Not necessarily uh, 
the best show in the world today. Um, but considering it was solo, considering we had microphone issues at the beginning, we'll take it. Appreciate y'all. Um, y'all have a good one. We'll be back tomorrow on our regularly scheduled, regularly um, handled platform. See y'all then. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.